Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Well, today I want to take you to Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. As we read this text in 1 Corinthians 3, I want you to kind of get the feel for the underpinning message that Paul is trying to give here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. I'm going to start from verse 9, just, to, just for brevity's sake. Paul says, for we are co-workers. Say co-workers. In God's service, you are God's field, God's building. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one, say each one, should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work, say their work, will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Can we give God a big shout of praise for that incredible text? Thank you so much, Mitch. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject, your part, his part. Your part, his part. See, when you read a text of Scripture like what Paul wrote here, don't be misled by the focus he might put on himself. You know, we often say Christianity is all about Jesus. Absolutely it is. You cannot be saved by any other thing than his grace through faith. How many of you believe that? Your salvation theology today is not in question here. Paul, however, was writing to the church in Corinth and is giving them a framework on how they ought to live now that they are Christian. He was actually discipling them in a powerful revelation to stop them from walking in error with regards to their walk with God. So he was essentially giving them a theology about their partnership with God. I don't know if you know that you're actually in a partnership with God. This message will profoundly change some of the way that you think about who you are and who God created you to be. It'll change your prayer life. When you think of your life as being a partner with God, it'll change the awareness you've got in your world. It will change the way that you relate to God in your daily walk with Him. It'll teach you, most importantly, it'll teach you to take some responsibility for this Christian walk that you've got. Make no mistake, this is a maturing sermon, and this will set you up for what we're going to be walking into the next few weeks about when we talk about legacy, when we talk about wholeness, talk about the generations to come. You need to understand that we all have a part to play in this relationship with God. Paul uses this phrase, co-worker. Other translations would call it a co-laborer, all of that sort of stuff. The Greek word is synergos, to which we get the word in English, synergy. When something is in synergy, there, is a, there are two parties working in tandem with some reciprocity with each other. It's the whole picture of how relationships should work. And so today, I want you to straddle the two truths. One is the theology of the sovereignty of God, which is God doing whatever He wants to do in spite of us, as well as the theology of the partnership, the synergos theology, which is we are walking in partnership with God. Both those two truths work to paint a picture of how we ought to walk with God. The reality is that these two truths don't compete with each other. They complement each other. Makes sense to you? Because I think the reason why Paul was teaching this or discipling this to the church in Corinth is because he knew that sometimes we can be lazy as Christians that we would prefer that God would do everything for us. The problem is that we can underestimate the significance we play in the relationship that we have with God. 
We want God to do things for us, but you need to understand that God wants to do things with us. Lazy Christianity would say that, well, why don't we just hang out all day and wait for God to do things for us? But the reality is as mature Christians, we have to understand that God wants to do things with us. Undergirding, underpinning all of our Christian faith is this word relationship. Right? You've got to understand that your faith in God is relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And to relate to someone, there has to be reciprocity. Yeah. What is reciprocity? It means that for a relationship to work, one party needs to do their part, and the other party needs to do their part. There is nothing worse than a one-way relationship. In fact, if you find yourself in a one-way relationship, it's not a relationship at all. You're either a stalker, or you're a victim of a stalker. Do you understand that? All relationships are on the basis of reciprocity. One part, one party doing their part and the other doing their part. In the Christian faith, God is the initiator and we're the responder. But for us to be in a relationship with God, we have to do our part. And here's the thing about synergos, synergy, relationship. is this. God will do His part, but He won't do your part. God absolutely will do His part, but He won't do your part because there's this little thing in creation called free will. Do you understand that God will never impose Himself and force Himself on you in this relationship? All of this walk with God is an invitation for you to do your part so He can do His part. So many of us want God to do everything for us, it only leaves us in a place of disillusionment. You know, you only ever be disillusioned because you're first under an illusion. And the illusion is that God does everything for you when all along Scripture has been teaching us that He wants to do everything with us. The Bible is clear in its messaging from Genesis to Revelation that God will do His part but you will have to do your part. There is so much biblical evidence on this. In fact, it's going to feel like I'm going to just make you drink from a fire hydrant of Scripture today because there's an overwhelming wall of of, of evidence here that that God wants us to do our part in our relationship with Him. From the very beginning, the first conversation that God has with humanity is about them doing their part. He's saying this, Adam and Eve, I've created all of this. Your part is to steward it and have dominion over it. Right? And sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that now that we're Christian, if we just have lots of activity, then it's us doing our part. Having lots of activity doesn't necessarily mean we're doing our part in relationship with God in the kingdom. Lots of activity. We think that we do a lot, we get extra shift for work and we rush from that basketball practice to the cafe to pick up the coffee to the post office because our online purchases come in to like Googling flights for our latest holiday to keeping an eye out on, on how your shares are performing to then quickly making sure you get your footy tips in to then rushing to pick the kids up from school and then taking your daughter to gymnastics. On and on it goes. We think that just because we're busy, we're partnering with God. Whereas the partnership with God is completely different. It's us walking with God in obedience to Him and in response to Him. We do our part, He does His part. He does His part, we do our part. It's like this relationship dance. There is something in modern culture today called hustle culture. Have you heard of it? 
Hustle culture is the celebration of just being busy. You are self-made. You got to hustle. Bam, 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 bam. It's a high pressure rat race. Make it happen off your own back mentality. You got to just get stuff done in your own life. And, And there's also another modern day mentality called the quiet quitting culture. Which is like, this is my small little world, this is my little boundary, and um, you know, this is what I'm comfortable doing. Please don't impose anything more on me. God can do everything for me. Is that inactive type mentality. Neither of these extremes are taught in Scripture, and both of these will lead to disillusionment. Scripture teaches us to co-labor with God, co-work with Him. It's a partnering. It's an invitation. God will do His part, but He won't do your part. He will do his part, but we must first do our part in obedience to him. As of next year, I'll be a pastor in this church for 20 years. You can buy me a box of Cadbury Roses. That's great. But this is what I've learned in the last couple of decades of pastoring people. So many of us sit around waiting on God. But God's actually waiting on us. We sit around saying, I'm I'm just waiting on God. And going, hold up, dude. I'm waiting on you. God will do his part, but he won't do your part. Because if God did his part and your part, you'll never end up maturing. Hello? How many of you raise kids here? How many of you, when they're little, you do everything for them? But it's a worry if you're still doing everything for them when they're 21. Hello? Right? I'm speaking to some mums here. I know you love just to do things for your kids, but something very wrong if you're still doing their washing for them at 21. Come on now, right? We all want God to do things for us, but His desire is that eventually He'll do things with us. All right, you ready? So, so today, I just feel prophetically to go through four areas where we need to do our part so God can do His part, Right? And the first is this, in the era of finances, it's important. This is, this is the stuff of discipleship. This, this is an area where so many believers struggle to navigate. Am I the maker of my own wealth, this self-made legend of my own prosperity, or am I just a patient recipient of what God wants to bring my way? Well, neither. God's called us to a life of stewardship. The Bible describes you as a stewardship. So biblical stewardship is best described as being responsible for what belongs to God. God does his part, and we need to do our part. To refuse stewardship is to walk in the error of God's original intended purpose for us. So many of us want financial blessing when it comes to our walk with God, but we refuse to do our part in this area. Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's an absolute statement. No room for negotiation. Verse 11 says, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God wants to and will give you more But the question is, can he trust you with a little? Will you do your part so he can do his part? You want increase from God, but you want tithe. Come on. 
God knows that he can't trust you with your tenth. You want blessing, but you won't give. You want success, but you won't work. God will do his part, but he won't do your part. It's a call to partnership. If there's lack in your life, we can sit around and get angry with God all we want, blame the church, blame our bosses, blame the economy. How about we just do our part and trust God with his part? If you've never budgeted or learned to live within your means, don't get mad at God when you're in lack. Come on. If your mortgage up to your eyeballs, don't get mad at God when you can't sleep at night because you can't service that debt. Believe me, in our journey with, throughout the last 20 years, we've had to partner with God in our family too all along the way through incredibly time, tight, tight times of finances. We had to go through material things that we had to go without, different sort of seasons. But we understood that the, the, the beauty and the power of the Christian walk is that we do our part no matter how little we've got so God can do His part. We all like to quote Luke, Luke 6, verse 38. Put this up on the screen. One of everyone's favorite scripture. Jesus said this in verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Luke 6, 38. Look at that verse very, very carefully. There is only one word pertains to our part, and yet we refuse to do it, and that's the first word, Give. But we all claim the press down, shaking together, good measure, running over. Hallelujah. We all want that, but we don't want that first word. Do your part and God will do his part. Give and he, that's your part and the rest will come because he will do. He, I mean, I need a resounding amen from somebody today. I'm preaching hard today. The second part of your part, his part, is in the area of relationships. We all want our relationships to flourish, don't we? Yeah. Right? How many of you want your relationships to flourish? Yeah. How many of you want your relationships to fail? No one does. Yeah. Right? But do you actually realize you are one half of every relationship you're in? Yeah. I just realized the other day, it dawned on me after almost 23 years of marriage, I was present in every single fight I had with Chrissy. <laughs> I was there. I was involved personally with every harsh conversation I had with her. But I was also involved in every loving one. I was involved every single time I hurt my boys. But I was also involved in every single time I blessed them. I spoke life to them. I was involved in every single falling out I've ever had with anyone. But I've also been involved with every memory of laughter and joy and uplifting memories and reconciliation and restoration of love. We have to do our part so God can do His part. Can I talk into this for a little? When it comes to us doing our part so God can do His part, when you think about our relationship with God, there, there, are, there are a few relationships that we have. The first primary relationship that we have is our relationship with God. Think about verses like this, Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can you see the your part, his part? Yeah. Now everything in scripture will start to get illuminated. Your part, come to Jesus. That's your part. Yeah. And he will give you rest. So when we're weary and burdened, we want the rest, but we don't want to come to him. Yeah. Wow. How many of you ever said this to yourself? I'm too tired today to come to church. I've had such a full-on day at work. I don't want to come to revival prayer tonight. I'm too tired. Yeah, yeah. Your part, yeah. his part. Yeah. 
and you wonder why you don't get any rest. Netflix binging is not rest. That's activity. Do you understand? It's not partnering with God. It's not coming to Jesus. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, I know what's lacking in your life. Drink from me and then you'll never thirst again. Your part, my part. Oh man, somebody say amen. And then there's the relationships that we have with others, our friends. There's got to be reciprocity. If you want your friendships to flourish, do your part. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Wow. Amazing. How's that for a bit of wisdom for you? How many of you want great friends? Well, be a great friend. Good preaching, PK. Good. In the 21st century Western society, I reckon loneliness is a product of our own devising. We have more means to be friendly with people and connect with people than in any other time in human history. Hello. You can contact anybody you want, anytime you want. I'm showing my age here, but I used to be of the era where I had to use crank phones to call someone's landline. How many of you have never seen or touched a crank phone before? You are underage, you children. Immature people tossed to and fro like the wind. Seriously, we live in an age where we can be so connected and yet we choose to be lonely. But I wanna say this to you, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. If you keep saying no to invites to connect and hangouts and get-togethers, and you're that kind of person that takes seven to eight days to reply a phone call or a text message, don't be surprised when no one's there for you when you need them. Don't be surprised when no one's there to help you move house. Don't be surprised when you have no contacts when you need a car. Don't be surprised when no one makes you a meal because you've never made anyone else a meal. Do your part so God can do His part. You want your friendships to flourish, do your part. And then there's like, so there's, there's us and God, there's us and our friends, and then there's us and our families. We all want our kids to grow up to be incredible men and women of God. How many of you want that? Right? But we don't always want to do our part. The Bible says, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child, that's our part. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's God's part. And some of you are saying, hold up. I'm doing my best to train up my child here. Don't at me like this, okay? I don't know very many parents. You're right. I don't know very many parents that aren't doing their best or want their children to grow up to become great, upstanding people. That's not in question. I, I, I remember when one of our boys was going through a very difficult age. Um, thank God it was only short-lived, but there's something about year nine boys. And it was just that little season of just being combative all the time. Am I the only parent here that... I'm the only parent here. I must be a bad dad. But it was like the back chats and the attitude and like the weaponizing of some of the things I was saying. It was all coming back at me. And I was reading Proverbs 22 and I was getting frustrated at God saying, God, I am training up this child. 
as best as I can, and it's actually not working. God, I'm frustrated. I was yelling at him. He was yelling back at me. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying as clearly as I, as I, as I had to close my eyes, and I can remember it, that these words reverberating through my head, you can only train up a child in the way he should go if you are going that way yourself. Do your part so we can do his part. You can only train up a child in the way he should go if you are actually going that way yourself. It's like, oh, God, wow. See, we all want our kids to love God, love the house of God, be touched by God, be on fire for God. We want them to just get into the word, just pray, you know, walk closely with God. Are you doing that yourself? You want your kids to have a great attitude to life, positive outlook on things, be able to handle stress well, don't melt down, don't lose the plot at home. Hello? You can only train up a child in the way he should go if you are going there yourself. Third, your part, his part. You know that you also can play a part in your freedom and wholeness? There's nothing more liberating than for Jesus to free us from the old life. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, all of those things, to set liberty those who are oppressed, right? You need to understand that Jesus wants to do that for us. But there is a part we should also play. Some of you are saying, what? You mean like to be free? I need to play my part? Yes. Throughout the Gospels, we see this over and over and over and over again. We see this pattern. Jesus never imposed his power to heal or set anyone free on anyone. He never set anyone free that didn't want it. Whenever he performed a miracle on someone, it always required them to do their part. Whether it's a blind man getting sent to wash spit-filled mud eyes in a pool in Siloam, a long way from where he was, or sending servants to go fetch and fill huge water pots with water at a wedding so he can turn water into wine. The the list goes on of of Jesus wanting to do something that required us to do. It's a relationship. Come on, are you out there? You still out there? Mark 3, verse 1, I I love this. It says, and he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So we jump on verse 4. And he says this to this man, I'm going to heal you, you don't need to do anything. Does it say that? It says this, stretch out your hand. That's your part, brother. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Now, I wonder if this man's hand would have ever been healed if he kept it hidden under his cloak. Stretch out your hand. Oh, really? Okay, then let me heal you anyway. It doesn't play out like that. Jesus says to this man, stretch out. You're going to understand whenever physical healings happened in the Gospels, it wasn't just a physical progression forward for the person that was being healed. It was a holistic change of their life. In the first century, when, whenever people saw someone that had some kind of disability or some kind of witheredness or, 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 or some, some paralytic kind of scenario, it was the holistic quality of life improvement that came. This man with the withered hand would have carried some kind of stigma. He wouldn't have been able to work, but it makes sense to you guys. It would have been a certain level of shame. That was more what he needed to be free from than just a hand that was working and functioning, even though that's a bonus too. So 
what happens when Jesus said to this man, I want you to stretch out your hand and did not specify which hand. The man intuitively knew that for him to get his freedom, he had to stretch out his withered hand. See, God can't heal what you refuse to reveal. And for so many of us, we walk through life hiding that porn addiction, thinking that one day I'll just get free. Or we keep on hiding that fear and control issue when it comes to our kids and it's killing the family dynamic, thinking that one day I'll just get free. We keep hiding the fact that we drink too much to medicate the pain of the disappointment that should be further on in life, thinking that one day I'll just get free. I wonder how many withered hands have remained under the cloak of a church faith Sunday when he's saying, you've got to do your part so I can do my part. Here, here's, here's what you need to catch. Pride always conceals, humility reveals. And the reason why we don't play our part is because we're too proud to. And the reason why this man stretched out his withered hand, all of these witnesses are watching this account. Jesus is calling him out, stretch out your hand. Is because he knew that I need to lay my pride down, do my part, so that Jesus, you can do your part. Oh man, somebody needs to say amen. Three minutes to ten, I've got to keep motoring. Your part, his part, in the area of your calling. In the area of your calling. What has God put you on this earth to do in serving him and his purposes for you? God will do his part, but he won't do your part for you. You've got to do your part. Some of us wish God would use us for great things, but we're not always prepared to do our part. I think about the first interaction that Jesus had with this man by the name of Simon, who's later called Peter. Matthew 4, verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Just that phrase. A beautiful picture of partnership. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men. Look at that verse on the screen. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter, your part, follow me. My part, I will make you. And for so many of us, we say, God, would you make me a vessel? Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Right? We love that song, Great Melody. But often Jesus says, I want you to follow me first. And that might require you to drop some nets. It might cost you something. It might require you to sacrifice something. It might require you to step away from what you've been familiar with. It might require you to say no to something that's comfortable and familiar. And drop. Peter needed to do his part for Jesus to do his part. Peter needed to stop being a fisher of fish so that Jesus could turn him to become a fisher of men. I wonder today how many of us continue to walk in spaces and places where it's okay 
But Jesus has called us to more. Maybe there's leadership on your life. Maybe there are gifts and talents that have lied dormant in your life for far too long. And there's a quiet desire in you. Maybe one day, God, you know, some of these things will come out. I'll have an opportunity. You're waiting on God. But how about you start thinking about the fact that God's actually waiting on you? You can imagine Jesus saying, follow me, Peter, and I will make you a fisher of men. I'm waiting. You're going to drop that net? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Can I encourage you today? God will do his part, but he won't do your part. I want to encourage you in this coming year, be the kind of man or woman that says yes to do your part. This is not about manipulating God for anything. It's about being in a relationship. I am one half of my marriage. I am responsible for my half of the marriage. I can complain all I want about how bad my marriage is and sit with a counselor. I can tell you now, every God-fearing counselor will tell me, brother, you need to do your part. Come on, are you out there? It's no different to our relationship with God. God is the initiator, but we have to be the responder. Come on. In every juncture of our walk with God, let's never get our theology wrong where we expect God to do everything for us when all along he's saying, son, daughter, I just want to do everything with you. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.